Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ. Along with my co-host, Reese Thomas, I'm Teresa Quinlan. We make up TNT. For those of you that don't know, it's our name, Thomas and Teresa. We're here to explode the status quo, because this series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently, so we can start doing differently. Uh, welcome to another episode of TNT ESQ. Our guest today is Jeff Eichler. Jeff is the principal of Quetico Personal Leadership and Career Coaching, where he works with uh, individuals to overcome their internal obstacles to better lead effectively. He is also the co-host of the wonderful Getting Unstuck Educators Leading Change podcast. Uh, this focuses on changes in education, who is leading them and why, uh, what they're trying to accomplish, and what obstacles they're encountering and overcoming. Uh, he's also a co-author of the book, Shifting, How Educational Leaders Can Create a Culture of Change, which focuses on helping education leaders and their teams lead sustained changes that lead to desired outcomes and impact. Fabulous to have you join us, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. And Reese, you got the name right, Quetico. A lot of people will have a much longer pause and go, uh, a coaching company, you know, and so thank you for that. No problem. It just came naturally. Yeah. So look, we know we always like to start this uh, show with a question about your passion, your obsession in a good way. So we, we talked a little bit before this and uh, we delved into the sort of the, the coaching work you do. It's about um, self-awareness and, and then really about how you can lead how you need to lead yourself so that you can better lead others. This is something that was, you know, very strong uh, in the hearts of both me and Teresa. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation, but could you give us a bit of a, a background to how you came to this and maybe a short story of your life up until now? <laughs> so how much time do we have? <laughs> in like a minute. <laughs> it's a pretty long road. I'll give you the short and maybe we can dig into it. I was a, a manager slash leader in an educational publishing company. I was in charge of a product line. And at the time I didn't realize it, but I wasn't a very good leader of people. I was very good at getting the work done, very good at helping to get the products out the door that could be sold. I had a great relationship with our sales force, but I wasn't focused on the people. I was focused on the work. Word must have gotten back to uh, people in higher levels of the company because I was actually assigned a coach. It began a, really a multi-year period of, I'll use a term uh, from my good friend, Kimberly Davis, excavation, if you will, of what was making me behave in a certain way as a leader. That was, the, that was kind of the turning point for me is that it was a, it was a watershed to be focused on the people as a leader versus just getting the work done. I think that word excavation is perfect in its intention because it defines the process of self-awareness. Your whole description of it's a long journey. I'm going to tell you a part of it and then we'll explore is an excavation in and of itself into our conversation that we dig away a layer 
and sometimes even more valuable is putting that layer in a sifter and shaking out, see what falls through and then see what remains on top because we have elements to what we uncover over and over and over again. And some of them we can sift through them and ah, we're free of them. And others, we put them in our pockets and we carry them with us for a little while because there's something deeper in one of our other layers that we need to get to before we're able to release that thing out of our pockets on this journey, what was the big thing that was in your way that on the outside you were recognizing and that started the look inward? I was the big thing in my way. And the stories that I was telling myself, uh, stories like I had to be perfect. Everything we did had to be perfect. I had to have not just ideas, but I had the right ideas and then I was going to ask you questions that would get you to come to the same conclusion that I have. I've learned to call that playing bingo with people. It was torturous because they could see I had an idea and I knew I had the idea, but I'm still gonna make you work to come to the same conclusion that, that I did. So uh, being perfect, uh, playing bingo with people. And I think the other thing is I was an initiative junkie I was doing a lot of reading and business books. I was going to conferences. I would come back all jazzed and we had to start doing this. It's ironic, uh, Kirsten and I have written about this in our book. Educators do this all the time. They, they read something, they go to a conference, they talk to people and they come back and they start spinning another plate. Well, other plates are already spinning and they're wobbling, but I did that. I did that as a leader and all three of those things, I, I think fairly drove people a little bit crazy. The salvation was we were doing what we had to do in terms of KPI, in terms of the numbers. So the company said, this guy's worth saving. But the watershed was me coming to the realization that I was in my way. The stories that I was telling myself, those were the things at fault. And because of those stories, I wasn't able to look at the people that I was working at to see them as human beings. They were people who could get work done, if you will. Listen to you describe that, I mean, it makes me think of the quintessential difference between a manager and a leader. And, you know, I know when I started, started working in the corporate, you know, it was all about being a manager. It was about managing the clock, managing the production, managing the team. There was never any, you know, training or coaching or discussion about engaging with the people. And it's interesting that you said that you kind of, you had an idea and you, were, you asked in ways that kind of coerced them to, to come around to your way of thinking, uh, which is still a kind of, I guess it's a bridge between the manager to the leader, but uh, you mentioned that they employed a, a coach to come and help you. And as we're all kind of coaching, I'm interested to know what it was that that relationship allowed you to suddenly realize that you were the person in the way, and despite all the you know conferences and, and books you were reading, all these new ideas you were trying to bring. What was it that made you really break out of that manager role and start to become the leader that you, you clearly are? That's a great question. He started asking me powerful questions about, what I was thinking about, about my actions, what, what drove me, what I was passionate about. And forcing that discussion inward helped me to pull back those, those layers. I often use the phrase peeling back the layers of the onion. That's what we did. And I'd be lying to you if I said there was an immediate epiphany because part of what happened is that, and this is part of what I do in coaching, and this is why I do what I do in coaching, is that when we get put into those situations, our natural defense mechanisms kick in. 
you guys are coaches, you know, they, these things go by many names, you know, the inner critic, the saboteur, the gremlin resistance. And I remember Brene Brown talking about something like this, where she fought like hell, you know, that's not me. But gradually, I came to the realization that I was acting out what I now call child stories, based on how I was raised, based on the feedback that I got as a very, very young person. And I can remember report cards always indicating he's not living up to his potential. He's a bright boy, but he's quiet. He seems distracted. And you start to play those tapes. I am way past the point of blaming anybody for that. My parents behaved the way they did. They were, they were good people. They were the, the best parents they could possibly be. What I've tried to do is say, those were child stories I was telling myself. I have to now start telling my adult stories. I have to start looking at things differently. So it was that slow realization. It was the ability, this is another phrase I use in my coaching, it was the ability to turn down the volume on the inner critic. It was first of all, realizing I had one, we all have it. And as I say to my clients, if you disavow that, we need to start with that because you're basically lying to yourself. We all have that voice. It's part of our DNA. I had to look at when that voice spoke to me, what were the situations it was speaking to me? I eventually had to give it a name. And by giving it a name, I began, began to get some power over it and turn that off. And I think in the latter part of the years where I worked for the same company, I was a much different leader than I had been at the beginning. Self-awareness, what you're speaking about, I'm aware this is what's happening. And then there's the next element. I'm going to intentionally do something about it to be different in the way I then behave. So when you work with your clients, how do you go about creating for them the, from where you are, this is the how? Is it a co-creation element? You create together the how? Do you have set exercises you use and you kind of give them to them and see how they do with them? How do you go about doing that with your own clients? Yeah, it's always, it's always co-created. You know, the danger in, in being a coach, especially a coach coming from the corporate world, is mm -hmm. that you still want to carry that baggage of, I've got the answer. I know why you're behaving the way you're behaving, you know? On more than one occasion, I've had a laugh with clients about starting to play bingo with them. Where I start, Teresa, is often with purpose. What is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that you're trying to get at, especially with educators? Because educators who have been in the ballgame for a long, long time, the work starts to become rote almost. We're using the curriculum that we've used. We're using the methodologies that we've used. And in some cases, we've forgotten what is it that we want to help develop in these kids. And so we spend time on purpose because if you can begin to see where it is that you want to go, it's the first step in getting there. I use a, I use a phrase with clients, are you sitting in a rowboat or are you sitting in a canoe? And when you get them to think about when you're in a rowboat, which direction are you facing? And when you're sitting in a canoe, which direction are you facing? Well, that's and so interesting. It's so interesting. Sorry to interrupt because when I first went with that analogy, I went with how many paddles do you have? <laughs> Not the direction you're facing in. So thank you for clarifying the thought around what direction are you facing? Yeah. 
because you know, as coaches, we can get stuck looking in the past and trying to figure out the past. And there's mm. danger in that because with some of my clients, there are no answers. Parents have died, siblings have died, photo albums have been dispersed and all of that. So mm. we can't do that. Now, the, the compounding factor for me, have you ever taken strength finders? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. my chief strength is context. And it's no surprise, I started out in my career as a history teacher, a high school history teacher. It's all about context. So I still carry that, I still carry that with me into my coaching because I find it hard to deal with a client without knowing something in their background. It's like I couldn't deal with me unless I knew my background, unless I looked at what had happened to me, what stories I were carrying. Teresa, we co-create, we, we focus, on, focus on identifying purpose, and then we take steps. The big part of the work that I do, where a lot of the ahas come from, is that realization about where the resistance is coming from, what the resistance is saying to you, and what kind of behaviors it's, it's, it's forcing you to have. So Jeff, I follow you on Twitter and I've noticed in the last couple of days, you've been talking about something fake work. Now, as I got the opportunity to talk to you, I wondered if you could explain that a bit to, to me and to our listeners and what is it, what problem is it causing and how do we get out of that? Fake work, and this gets back to the whole question of purpose. In organizations where there is not a clear purpose in terms of what we're all working towards and a purpose that each one of us can articulate, when we don't do that, we can often do work that goes anywhere but heading towards that singular purpose. And when we do that, we're spending a lot of energy and we're doing fake work because it's not going to be work that's going to help us deliver on the purpose that we want. As somebody who worked in the corporate world for 35 years, um, that term really resonated with me. I was guilty of assigning fake work to people because I got jazzed about something and I thought it would help us, but it really wasn't directing us towards that singular purpose. I also suffered under it because we were given many initiatives from above to carry out that really didn't help us do what we had to do in order to deliver on that purpose. When I work with school districts, where I start is what is it that we're here for? What are we trying to accomplish on behalf of our kids? And I'll tell you a story. I worked with one district up in Connecticut where I had 18 school administrators in a room. We gave them a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper. And we said, what is it that we're about here? What is it that we're trying to accomplish on behalf of our kids? What's our purpose here? They taped them up on the wall. And how many answers do you think we got? Well, how many is it? 18? 18 different 18. Yeah. We got 18 different answers, okay? <laughs> Everything from we have to get these kids to pass high stakes tests to I just want to protect these kids when they're in my school. Mm. And that was from the high school principal. I just want to protect these kids. That's what I'm about. So how do you work collectively together in a district if you have 18 different pathways that you're trying to follow? It wasn't that any of these were bad, but there was nothing unifying about these. So what we tried to do is to get back to a singular purpose, something that can easily be articulated by everybody and they're working towards it. If we're not, we can, we can be engaging in fake work. That's a nice segue or maybe even just connection to the excavation analogy used at the beginning of our conversation in that in the world of coaching, 
sometimes it's necessary to make this distinction between coaching and therapy. Right. Therapy definitely looks into the past and usually talks you through as much of the past as possible to process and resolve and, and do all of that. So it stops showing up today. Whereas Marion Langford does this work in solution-focused coaching. I actually think she should call it solution-forward because as a coach, you don't have to know anything about the past in order to ask a question that drives the individual forward. Because the question could be, what might be showing up from your past right now that's getting in your way? And they do the excavation. You just have to ask the question, but you don't even need to know it. You don't even know, need to know the answer. And sometimes I find in helping people grow in their emotional self-awareness, it's better if I don't know, because that is when I start to look for solutions and offer a recommendation. And the less I know sometimes, the better question I end up asking that gets them to go, oh my God, and then they have the moment. And so I move them to, you don't have to tell me, write it down because that's a critical piece for your exploration of, oh, so what do I wanna do about that? So I'm interested in how do you handle when things come up as a coach in that space of emotional self-awareness that people are like, I don't wanna talk about this. That's usually prime territory to talk about the inner critic, the gremlin, the saboteur, and resistance, because there's something standing in the way. Now, to your earlier point, I never try to be a therapist. I don't try to resolve what happened in the past. I'm not trained to do that. I think there's a fine line between trying to do that and to understand how context may be impacting them still. Mm. That's where I try to go. I can't heal the fact that you lost a job and you you felt badly about it. I can't I can't help you with that at that moment, but we can look at how that could be stopping you going forward. Mm. How it's limiting your belief about your self-worth, for example. It's always it's always being mindful of that line of slipping into I can I can make this all better. Right. <laughs> versus ah, what did we learn at that moment that could be impeding you going forward? Beautiful. I'd be remiss if we didn't sort of dive into the education system that we all find ourselves in, the, the education predicament that we're finding ourselves in right now. You know, there have been, you know, worldwide issues in terms of how do we get back to what was, how do we redefine what is, and how do we change that system? For me, we've, we never had an opportunity like this where we have the potential to rewrite some of those dogmatic things that have been, you know, suffocating the education system for, you know, years and years. And I feel like people aren't necessarily listening to it because it's, it's too hard. And, and I read an article or I saw somewhere that, you know, one in five teachers are opting out or leaving the profession because they're not being listened to or you know, it's just becoming too mandated. They're, they're not given that freedom. I mean, we talked to someone yesterday. She, was, uh, she used to be a teacher. She was all about the, the arts and, and the dynamics of that, the creativity. She connected with the pupils in a way that was fulfilling and nurturing for them but it wasn't fulfilling and nurturing for her because she had, you know, she had handcuffs on. She wasn't allowed to follow her sort of purpose. You know, it seems to me that education system, you, you said earlier that you asked the question and 18 different answers came up. And also it was really nice to hear that the headmaster or whatever was saying, I just want to make sure everyone's safe. All the other people were thinking about, oh, we need to get grades. I need to get this performance. I need to follow the, the curriculum <laughs> and be, be approved of that. So I'm, I'm interested to know what your take is on 
a viable path through this miasma of what we're dealing with right now? You know, there are loads of things we can do. I know this is a very big question, but just as you, with all your edu- experience in that field, what would you do, Jeff, if you were, uh, I don't know what the phrase is in the Head U- of uh, all education. State of education <laughs> in the US, yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would buy that house in Umbria that I've always wanted. <laughs> uh, Reese, complicated question, complicated answer. There there are two major things going on. There's how people are attempting to adjust to COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. and at the same time, Kirsten Rickert and I, uh, the podcast co-host, we had done a series of interviews with educational leaders, asking them how you're adjusting to COVID nineteen. And they were telling us various things. We're doing distance learning. We're doing some face-to-face learning. We're delivering meals to kids in various ways and so forth and so on. And we're starting to talk about what happens afterwards. And some people are actually seeing this as an opportunity to reshape education. Very, very often gets in the way of educators is they think they have less freedom to do things than they actually do. There's a lot of compliance put on educators and educators sometimes spend too much time on the compliance. They'll make it look beautiful as opposed to will this pass the checklist. Yes, we have mandates, things that we have to do. But as one principal told me, he's in his 19th year in principalship in an elementary school in Mesa, Arizona. He said, I don't worry about state tests. My concern is student agency and teacher agency. I want to energize my kids, uh, what energizes them. I want to give my teachers the ability to teach in a way that helps reach our purpose. Their big purpose is focused around literacy because they feel that you really can't advance in society unless you're a, a literate adult. Everybody in that building, if you talk to them, it's literacy. That's what we're, that's what we're about here. They have tremendous freedom to create their their own curriculum. They have tremendous uh, freedom as kids to read what they want to read. And so Mike's feeling is the state test will take care of itself. If we do our job this way, we don't all worry about all the goals that the the state has set for us because we'll cover them. We're going to cover it cover them uh, more indirectly than directly. A lot of teachers will go through, I have to do this standard on this day. I have to do this standard on this day. Mike says, we don't worry about that. We teach in an enlivening way that makes our kids want to come to school, that makes our teachers want to come to school, and they get the results from it. So there is a lot of freedom. There's more freedom, I think, than people think there is to make education worthwhile and valuable for the 21st century. And that's the, that's the big push that we, that we hear from a lot of educators is we're not serving the needs of these kids in the 21st century. We're having them perform calculations that they have, they have a, a calculator that can do for them. Why are we having them do manual calculations? What we should be doing in mathematics is, is showing them the thinking behind the mathematics and that's where the, the beauty can come in. But we're, we're still stuck in this 100-year-old system where we're having them do things simply because that's the way it's been mandated. Now, we have lots and lots of school leaders who are breaking out of that, doing things in a much more inquiry-based approach, a much more project-based approach where kids choose the projects that they, they want to work in. Uh, I was talking to an elementary school principal just yesterday. They have second and third and fourth graders 
doing, developing projects of their own design. And they get a lot of guidance from their teacher. But every Wednesday of every week, those kids get to spend the entire day working on their project. That just, I get goosebumps when I hear that. There's a principal of a school saying, yeah, I've got, I've got these mandates, I've got certain compliance issues, but we're gonna do what's right for our kids and we're gonna do what's right for our teachers. My husband and I have been doing this with our son for the last four or five years. So he's going to be going into grade 10. And for the last three weeks, he's been tasked at the beginning of the week on Monday, he has to choose a topic of interest. From Monday through Friday, he researches it. He creates a quote unquote paper. Then by Friday evening or Saturday, whenever he's ready, in that 24 hour time frame, he then has to deliver a presentation on this topic that goes up to 10 minutes, but no less than five minutes. And each week he has to choose a different way to present. I was gonna ask you if he gets that freedom. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. He gets yeah. that freedom as well. First weekend he chose the NHL and focused a little bit on the Toronto Maple Leafs, his favorite hockey team, right? And the next weekend he chose the rise and fall of the Roman Empire because Julius Caesar, he just read a series of four books around it and he was just like jazzed up about it. And this week he's now chosen one of his favorite musical artists. And this morning we were having breakfast and I said to him like, how's it going? He's like, you know, it's kind of really surprising that when you pick something you enjoy, it's really fun to learn. And what we're also noticing is then the feedback we give him on how he's gone about the work, he rolls into the next time he goes about doing his work. I'm not really giving feedback on the content because I'm not going to go and research the NHL and find out if it's correct or not. It didn't matter to me if it was correct or not, right? The purpose of my asking him that question is I'm like, how does it feel? I wanted to know, are you paying attention to emotionally what it's like when you're doing this work? It's easy. I enjoy it. Time goes by really fast. Your questions around emotional self-awareness. I'm curious from your perspective, because this is the first square of EQ that you focus a lot on, like how well do you really know yourself? How important do you think self-awareness is? to sure education system, but just to like life places in general? I think it's critical. I know of schools that are, that are working with kids on emotional intelligence. Yes. Absolutely. Why not introduce it? There's an interesting turn of phrase went through. You remember when mindsets hit education a few years ago? Yeah. And that was really important work. What sometimes happens though, this is an example, we do mindsets. Okay, we did mindsets. Now we're on to something else and we forget, we forget about mindsets. And, but there are schools that are, that are exploring emotional intelligence. Where I thought you were going with the project story, this is, this is like the next level for project is now what are the mathematics in a hockey rink? What's, what are the physics in a skater going down the rink? And we start to bring these subjects in to what they're interested in. So they're starting to do calculations. They're starting to see the impact of these sciences in real situations. That's to me where it gets really exciting. Well, thank you for that. Now I know what to do on this big project. Ask them a few of those questions to expand the learning. Tell them it's Reese's idea. I will. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. It's clearly indicative that you have a, a higher expertise in the, the educational field. But to go back to your example, Teresa, 
it was great that you've given this freedom and that he uh, is thriving with that uh, potential. But the bit that you said that was really interesting was that you give him feedback on each time he does it. Now, it may have changed, but I remember when I was in that in his position, it was just a question of yes or no, or pass or fail. There was no, there wasn't any feedback. You know, sometimes you get a note saying, see me after class or whatever, but you know, it wasn't really about feedback. <laughs> that, that's a really important aspect that we all use as leaders or in, in coaching. And then I'm interested to know if that is something that you've seen in, in the education dynamic as well, Jeff. Is that something that is becoming more prevalent? You know, it's more of a two-way interaction rather than just, I'm the teacher, this is the direction, whether I'm letting you be on your own to you know, create your own project or whether I'm just dictating what it is. Yeah, Reese, you mean uh, the feedback between student and teacher or teacher yeah. and parent and, and student? Well, all, but yeah, but particularly between teacher and student, I think. One of the cautionary notes about project-based learning is that uh, there's a certain amount of professional development that's needed for teachers in how to manage that situation because we, we don't want to be in a, yes, this is a beautiful presentation your PowerPoint is beautiful kind of situation. We want to see that there's real learning going on there. As I was mentioning the story about the Wednesday project-based learning exercise at this elementary school in Wisconsin, the, the teachers work with the kids all the time to help shape the story so that there is real, there's actual learning going on. They're not just creating a diorama, but they understand what the diorama is really speaking about. It's a, it's a different type of instruction. Mm -hmm. Because now teachers functioning sometimes in coach-like situations where they're asking the kids, what is, it that, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? What do you want to prove here? What do you want to demonstrate? And will this do that? With parents, it's even, I think it's even more gradual because when you were talking about that, you know, I remember my parents looking at my report card and what I got was, that's good, you can do better. Mm. That, was, that was the feedback. We have some schools that are very deliberate in terms of how they're trying to engage parents. And unfortunately, we have other schools where they don't want that engagement. We grew up with similar responses to report cards. Didn't really even matter what the grade was. If it wasn't 100, there was that statement was generally, why couldn't you have gotten 100? Yeah. Well, because I got a couple answers wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's why. <laughs> so... At every point in our conversation, Jeff, we have to throw up the hashtag symbol. You ready? Hashtag it. Not anymore. This conversation with you has been really full and has taken us in a couple of different directions from the space of coaching and emotional self-awareness to the inner critic, the saboteur, the gremlin, love that, to then the education system and changes we would love to see and big hurdles that we need to be able to get over. For our listeners, we always want them to be able to take something from our guests that they can start doing differently. They can think about it differently, so then they're doing differently, and then the outcomes for them shift. And if this was the microphone platform you got to do that today, what would be the golden nugget you would want to give? I would ask them to and this, these could be educators, these could be business people, these could be private individuals. Recognize and accept that you are hearing that voice, the inner critic, the resistance, the saboteur, the gremlin. Recognize and admit that you're hearing it because we, we all hear it. I would ask them 
to journal when they're hearing it? What are the circumstances under which that voice becomes loud? That in itself is telling. Give the inner critic a name and give the inner critic a slightly disparaging name because in the act of doing that, you start to gain a little bit of control over the inner critic. I had one client, very quick story, who as many inner critics will do, you're not working hard enough. Why are you working so hard? You need to do more of this. You need to do less of that. So she named her inner critic Ziggy hmm. because her inner critic was having her zigging and zagging. And now she could tell when is Ziggy getting in the way. Don't engage the inner critic. Don't have a dialogue with the inner critic. And then the last thing is realize you control the volume button. It's not externally controlled. You control it. Can I ask, what did you name your inner critic? Oh, Mr. Perfect. Reese, have you ever done this? Uh, I haven't. I haven't done it. The, the name of it. For me, the inner critic is like the, the shadow side of the ego. So the ego can be formative and, and projective, but the opposite, the other side of the coin is this inner critic side. So for me, they're the two in the same thing. So I haven't given it a name, no, but I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> I, I love this because I gave mine a name and uh, mine always sounded like my mother. So I just called her Christine <laughs> because that was her name. <laughs> and it did eventually, right, eventually came with that sense of humor that when I started to hear it, recognizing, oh, there it is. I'd be like, hey, mom, it was so easy. Such a critical point in the process. Admit you hear it. Journal when you're hearing it give it the disparaging name because for me that added an element of humor around it like oh there you exactly, are Hello. exactly yeah it really yeah. helps to then also control realize that you control the volume of that brilliant power tip thank you so much jeff for sharing the story the experience the wisdom really appreciate that it's been fun with you guys you have great visual contact during you know, it's unfortunate that our, our, our listeners won't see it, but you both have like really great facial expression. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So our audience is going to want to know, how can I get more of Jeff? So how can people be in touch with you? What's on the horizon for you as well? So jeff.eichler at gmail.com, real simple. Uh, Queticocoaching.com, that's my website. And you can gain access to the podcast right there as well. I'm on Twitter, learning my ropes there, and I would love to hear from people. Amazing. That's a beautiful invitation. Thank you. So we like to end TNT ESQ with a little rapid fire Q&A. All right. All right. <laughs> it's 10 statements, two choices. Interpret as suits you. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, manager or leader? Leader. Active or reactive? Active. Black and white or gray? Gray. Optimist or realist? Realist. Canada or England? Italy. <laughs> oh, I second that choice. <laughs> Heart or head? Heart. Empathy or assertiveness? Empathy. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Logical or emotional? Oh, that's a great one. Uh, boy, and there's no midpoint. This is a tough as assessment. Logical, emotional. I would say emotional. Mm. Innovation or process? Innovation. You made it. You made it through the gamut. Way to go, John. Yay. Thank you so much for indulging the fun.
That's uh, great. That's a great way to end. Thank you so much for being part of the show, Jeff. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge uh, on all things to do with education and all, all things to do with coaching. And uh, yeah, we can all go away and think about you know how we own up and, and, and acknowledge our inner critic and more importantly, what to name them. So yeah, thank you for that. I'll be waiting to hear what you name yours, Reese. We love to hear all of your feedback here on TNT ESQ. So if you've enjoyed this show, you've learned something, you've been inspired, please share it with your friends. Please rate the show. Please write a review on whichever podcast uh, platform you enjoyed it on to help us spread the word, help more people think differently and more people start doing differently. Thank you.